0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, the people prepare to build the tabernacle. Where God's spirit dwells now, God empowers the workers, and the generosity of the people is abundant. Exodus twenty-five, thirty-one, thirty-five, 35, and 36. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. There's generally a blog post for each one of these lessons on my website, livethroughjesus.com, and all of the past studies are done in writing and available to purchase there for under $5. The current study, I may be writing as I go along, so it may or may not be there quite yet, but it definitely will be available once all of the lessons for it are complete. I'll try to let you know, but you can also just check the website periodically, maybe each week when a new blog post comes out. Okay, so now that all that's out of the way, let's get started on this week's lesson. (music) On the last episode, we summarized the Israelites' journey from the time that they got across the Red Sea to their time at Mount Sinai. And if you missed that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it because we talked a lot about our own Christian walk with the Lord and how we can learn from the Israelites as they began their journey with God. And that wrapped up the last study that we did, and I do have the written portion online to purchase So if you want to have that there in writing, you can go to my website, livethroughjesus.com, and buy it there for under $5. Today we're going to begin our new study of the tabernacle. And before you decide that this is going to be boring and just a lot of facts, bear with me because I'm working hard to make sure that that is not the case and that there's a lot of self-application. And this lesson definitely is. So... We're going to start today by reading Exodus 25, and at this time, Moses is still on top of the mountain with God, and God is giving him the instructions for the tabernacle. So here's what it says in Exodus 25, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ramskins skins, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them." According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the furnishings, just so you shall make it. Okay, so just a little background. If you were with us in the last study, you remember that before this, before they had the building of the tabernacle, Moses would meet with God outside the camp in what he called the tent of meeting. And it was just a little tent that he had set up where he would go himself, he and Joshua, to meet with God. But God wanted to dwell in the midst of his people. And so he told Moses to build this sanctuary, which is a holy house that's set apart specifically for the presence of God to dwell. And this is going to be a portable tent that they will be able to carry with them as they travel to the promised land, because God knows this is going to be a long journey and so it's worth stopping for a moment here and building all of this so that he can be with the people as they camp along the way. So Moses is on Mount Sinai with God, and God tells him all the materials that they're going to need, and he gives them the blueprint for the tabernacle and all of the furnishings that are going to belong in it. And as we read through each one of these blueprints that God gives, we'll see that it's designed to be easily packed up and carried with them as they travel and then easily set up each time that they can. And then once they get completely settled into the new land, Solomon ends up building God a stationary dwelling place. So this is just a temporary thing while they're traveling. And I want to read you where it talks about. Solomon building the temple in 1st Kings 6 1 it says it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord so 480 years after they build the tabernacle is when they finally get a stationary place for God to dwell And then years later, the Israelites are captured by the Babylonians and they destroy that temple. But later, the Israelites are set free from there and sent back to rebuild this temple. And so the temple gets rebuilt. And this is the place where the people meet with God all through the Old Testament. Then in 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem is completely destroyed by the Roman army, and it's never rebuilt from that moment. But they do have this temple all the way through the Old Testament. And then when Jesus comes, he calls himself the temple. And the reason for this is because he is God with us. If you ever hear Jesus being called the name Emmanuel, that means God with us. And so God is with the people whenever Jesus is with the people. And after Jesus dies, the Jews are still worshiping in the temple of Solomon for a few decades, but they didn't believe in Jesus. And so that is really not the place that houses the spirit of God anymore, because they've rejected the son of God, the Messiah that God has sent. So remember, I told you that Jesus housed the spirit of God whenever he was here on this earth. And I want to read to you a verse about that. This is John 2, 19 through 22. And it says, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So Jesus was the temple of God and he was talking about how his body was going to be destroyed and he would raise it back up in three days. And after his resurrection, the disciples remembered this and they said, Oh yes, that must have been what he was talking about. So. Once the Jews rejected him, then the temple was not where God's spirit lived anymore. And now that Jesus, after his ascension and he's gone into heaven, then he wasn't housing the spirit of God on this earth anymore. And so what happened is he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in each one of us personally and so now we house the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And so we are called his temple. And so I want to read you a verse in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. And it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So because we house the Holy Spirit, we are called the temple of God. And so when the Solomon's temple was destroyed, that's fine because God doesn't need a place to house his presence anymore because of those that believed in his son Jesus and not those people that were worshiping at that temple that had rejected him anyway. Let me also read you Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So did you catch what's going on here? This is the Holy Spirit living within individual believers. When we are all fitted together in the name of Jesus, then we become the holy temple, the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so... Just as Moses would go to the tent of meeting to meet with God, and then the people later would go in the tabernacle, and then even later would go into the temple that Solomon built, now there is no building that houses God. The church is not where God's spirit dwells. This church is filled with people who have the spirit of God dwelling in them. And so when we meet together as believers who all possess the Spirit of God, then God's Spirit is in that building because of the people that are in that building, but not because God's Spirit dwells within that building anymore. After Jesus comes, His Spirit is within Jesus, and then it is in every person that believes in Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says about that in John 17, 20 through 23. This is Jesus before he dies. And just before this, he's praying for those disciples that had believed in him there at that time. And now he says, I do not pray only for those, but also for those that will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So did you catch that? That the father is in Jesus and Jesus is in us. Therefore, we are one with the father. And that's how the church works. Each One of us are individual members housing the Holy Spirit, and together we are all one with Jesus and with the Father. That is how when we have the Spirit within us, if the Spirit is one with Jesus and Jesus is one with the Father, then we're all one together. So it says this in 1 John 5, 7, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. So I hope that you understand that. I hope that I've explained it well enough to you that first God met with Moses in the tent of meeting. Then he lived in the midst of their camp in the tabernacle. And once they got into their permanent home, he had a permanent home in the temple that Solomon built. But then when Jesus came down, then God's spirit lived in him. And then they rejected Jesus And so the spirit was no longer in that temple that eventually was destroyed. And instead, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to live in each one of us. Now, Jesus told the woman at the well this in John 4, beginning in verse 19. It says, The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And that time is now. That time is now because Jesus has come. And so he says, now we will worship in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. And so we will worship the Father with our spirits because the Holy Spirit is within us. And so Jesus told about this day that would happen whenever the temple would no longer be relevant. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of background on the tabernacle and what it's meant to be and how the dwelling place of God progresses throughout the Bible as we introduce this study, since that's what we're going to be talking about, building the dwelling place of God and what's being done there in that house. So that is a little bit of an introduction to the tabernacle and the temple and all of that. And so now we're going to go ahead and move on to when Moses tells the people about the building of this temple, and we're going to get a little bit more into the contributions and the people that are going to be carrying out this task. So let's go ahead and begin reading in Exodus 35, verse 4, where Moses tells this to the people. So let's go ahead and start reading in Exodus thirty-five, beginning in verse four, all the way to verse twenty-nine, and Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, "This is the thing which the Lord has commanded: saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze; blue, purple, and scarlet thread; fine linen and goats' hair; ram skins dyed red; badger skins." And acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. And then it lists all the things that they're going to make, and we're not going to read those because it becomes monotonous. We'll talk about each one in detail later anyway. And then let's skip down to verse 20. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. They came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold. That is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. And every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, red skins of rams, and the badger skins, brought them. Everyone who had offered an offering of silver or bronze brought to the Lord's offering. And every one with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts were stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and spices of oil in the light for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord. All men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded to be done. So when Moses got down from the mountain, he told the people that God wanted them to build a sanctuary for him, and then he listed all of the materials that they were going to need. And I did go ahead and list those things because I want us to look at a couple of the things that they were told to bring. First of all, the gold and silver and bronze was very possibly what was given to them by the Egyptians whenever they fled Egypt. And then also they probably taught them the skills that they needed to know in order to make the yarn and the fine linen, because the Egyptians were known for the beauty of the clothes and and the linens that they made. And this was a lot of work, right? It says that not only were they just giving things that they had, but they were also giving things that they were making. And so they had to dye this yarn and they had to spin it in order to make things that needed to be donated. And the way that they would dye this yarn is that they would use animals like shellfish to make it blue or snail slime to make it purple. Or there were worms that would attach themselves to the holly plants and they would use those to make it scarlet. They were very ingenuitive and that's why I said they were probably taught by these Egyptians how to get the best color and how to spin it and make it perfect. And it even says that the women that were gifted artisans were the ones that did the goat hair because apparently that was something special and different. And so these people were giving of their time and their effort and their skills just to donate the things. And then this acacia wood was a type of wood that was readily available in that area but it was perfect for building because it was really hard and durable the grain was very close together and so it made it very hard and durable and then also this specific type of wood the insects wouldn't touch it and it wasn't susceptible to disease and so it was a wood that would be preserved and that's why it was good for building so that was just a couple of things that I wanted to touch on of the list that he gave to the people. And then after he gave the list of items, then Moses told the people to give willingly of what they had. And so it wasn't commanded that every person give a certain amount. It was a free will offering that was just given out of the generosity of their own hearts. And it says that their spirits were moved and their hearts were stirred to give. It says both men and women gave willingly of all the things that they had. And then again, you know, they gave up their time and effort also to make a lot of these things. So that's a lot of the facts. Now we're going to get into a little bit of self-application. And so let's go ahead and read Exodus 35, beginning in verse 30 to the end of the chapter. And it says, And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah. And he's filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carpentry work and in the work of all manner of artistic workmanship. And he's put in his heart the ability to teach in him and in Oliab, the son of Ahissamoth, of the tribe of Dan, He's filled them with the skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and of the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. So while Moses was on the mountain, God had told him that he had selected Bezalel to be like the project manager and then a holyab to be his assistant. And that those two men, God was going to give the skill and the knowledge and the ability and the understanding to do all of the things that he needed them to do. They were going to be skilled in all of the tasks. And it lists some of those things here, embroiderers and artistic design, weavers, all of those different things. So God had already told Moses that he had called those men. And so now Moses is telling them, hey, God has called these two men and given them the skill and the wisdom and the knowledge and the ability to do all of the things. And then he's also given them ability to teach others how to do this and in chapter 31, whenever God was telling Moses this, he said he also has given the skill to the workers that are willing to work. So God is specifically calling a couple of men and then stirring the hearts of other workers to do this work that he's asked of them to do. But he's not just asking them to do it. He's giving them the ability to do it, not only the skill and the talent, but the the knowledge of how to do it and the understanding of how everything is going to work. And so that's the first thing that I want to talk about is that whenever there is a need in the church or in the kingdom of God, then the Lord is going to equip people to skillfully meet that need. He's not going to make it where it's like, oh, I need these things done. Oh, there's no one to do it well. Whatever, I guess that stinks. That's not the way it goes. If there's a need, God will raise someone up with the ability to meet that need. And he also will stir their heart so that they will be willing to use their skill for the intended purpose that he had given it to them. And then the other part of this that I want us to think about is that God doesn't ask these people to do something that he doesn't already equip them to do. And it's the same thing with us. If God asks us to do something, he's going to give us the ability to do it. He's not going to ask someone to do something that they have no understanding of or talent to do. Think about us as parents. We also don't do this with our children, right? We don't ask a four-year-old to do something that they aren't capable of even having the knowledge or understanding or skill to do. We don't ask them to write a paper when they can't even read. We don't ask them to build something when they don't have the understanding of building it or the strength to carry it, right? And it's the same thing with God. God doesn't ask us to do something that he doesn't equip us to do. If we want our children to do something, we have to know that first they're mentally and physically able to do that thing and that we've taught them how to do it. We don't just say, go build this, even if they have the strength and the understanding. We teach them. And so it's the same with God. God is teaching them by giving them this intelligence, this knowledge, this wisdom, and understanding of how to do it and making sure that they have the talent to carry it out. And so know that if God asks you to do something, He's going to also give you the ability to do the thing He's asked of you. He's never going to command you to do something just as we would never command our children do this and expect that they do it without knowing that they have the capability of doing that. And God won't do that with us either. And so, first of all, I want you to look for needs in the kingdom of God, in your church, in your community, and then ask yourself, has God equipped you? Are you the person that God's asked to do that? You know, it may be that there are needs that arise and you hear that and you think, Yeah, I'm not gifted in that area. And you very well may not be, right? That may not be your thing that God has asked you to do. But also remember and be open to God's prompting because just as he stirred these people's hearts, he can also stir our hearts. And so if we continue to hear of a need and continue to feel like, "Mm, I wonder if I should meet that need. I wonder if I should do that. But then we keep dismissing it and our hearts continue to be stirred. Then maybe God is saying, Yeah, maybe that wasn't a skill that you had before, but I am going to equip you to do it. I'm calling you to do it and I'll make sure that you have the skill to do that thing. Maybe it is that they need a Sunday school teacher and you think, well, I'm not gifted in teaching And God's like, right, you're really not gifted in teaching, but you are gifted with little children. And this is a Sunday school class with small children. And so I'm also going to equip you to teach them. Maybe that's the case. And so we have to be willing to do whatever it is that we feel that God is calling us to do, and then also be able to discern whether God's calling someone else, right? This happened to me whenever I became the children's director years ago at our church. There was a need for a children's director. And I continued to hear this over and over in our church being announced. And I thought initially that sounded like something that I might like. And then I dismissed it because I didn't really have the time. At that moment, my husband had been deployed to Afghanistan and my kids were still young. And I didn't think I needed to take something like that on. But I continued to hear about it and continued to kind of think about it, which now I realize was God stirring my heart. But I continued to say, well, I'm not very good at decorating and this person would have to do vacation Bible school and that would be part of my job and I'm not really good at that. And just one thing after the other, I would dismiss it until we still had no one to do the job. And so I started taking over various tasks within that job, as did some of the other parents, because our kids were of that age. And so then it came where people started asking me, would you want to do this? And I'm like, man, I actually thought about it. But here's my reservations and started telling them. And they're like, we don't care if you can decorate. Other people in the church can decorate. You just need to delegate. You can work from home we know that your husband's gone and your kids are young and all these things started falling into place. And so I was like, I think this is what God's calling me to do. And he did equip me to do it. He gave me all the skills that I needed and then other people skills to help me in things that he didn't gift me in. And it all worked out. And so I just want to tell you that, you know, everybody does have a different gift and It may not be what God's called you to do because he's gifted someone else in that area. But also know that if God has called you to do something, that he will equip you to do it. I want to read you a couple of verses. The first one's found in Romans twelve three through 8 and it says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So in the building of the tabernacle, God gifted Bezalel and Aholiab to do all of the things. But then the rest of the people, they just use their specific gifts that God had given them to do one of the other tasks. They didn't have to know about all of the things. And so that's what this verse is saying here. It says we are all the body of Christ. And so just as our physical body has different parts and each part does a different function, so it is with the body of Christ. And so whatever gift we have, we should use that for God's glory. And then it lists several of these gifts. And if you notice, all of them are not ministerial gifts. They're not preaching or teaching in the church. And so we don't have to be doing those big roles. God has gifted different people to do those things. But notice some of the gifts that he says. He says one of the gifts is the gift of encouragement. One of the gifts is giving. One of them is leading. One is being merciful. So your gift may be that. You may not meet the needs of a titled person in the church, but look for needs in the church and see if you are gifted in a way to meet that need, even if it's not a titled position or something like that. Because God has given each of us ability to do something that he needs done. And so that's the first thing. I also want to read you Ephesians 4, 1 through 13. And it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to men. And then skip down to verse 11 and it says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so it says that when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to some, and these are more gifts of titles in the church, you know, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. But it says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So there's other workers within the church there. So we need to be worthy of whatever God has called us to do. That means whatever he's called us and equipped us to do, we need to live up to that. We need to use that gift for whatever God has intended it for his kingdom. And so look for needs that need to be met and ask the Lord if he has gifted you in the area to meet that need. And then if he says yes, that he's called you to do that, then respond with confidence knowing that he will equip you all along the way to do whatever it is he's asked you to do. Okay. All right. This is getting a little long, but I wanted to hit on one more point. So let's read what it says in Exodus 36 as Moses is continuing to give instruction to the people. Beginning in verse 1, he says, And Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work, And they received from Moses all the offerings which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making of the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work that he was doing, and they spoke to Moses and said, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout all the camp, saying, Let neither man or woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was too much. And so Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and all of the other willing workers who'd been given the appropriate skills and he gave them the plans that the Lord had given him to make each thing. And then they were given the materials that had been donated by the people and they were told to follow the plans that God gave them exactly. And so the craftsmen began to work on their projects, but the people continued to bring free will offerings every single morning. And soon each department realized They had more than enough material to complete the projects that they had. And so Moses told the people to stop bringing donations. So that's the last point that I want to touch on is that what a wonderful problem to have, right? The donations exceed the need. And I just want to point out a couple of things here because we talked earlier a little bit about how this was a free will offering. There was no set amount required that they had to give. And I just got to thinking, have you ever noticed that whenever it is not a requirement and there's no limit put, that a lot of times people give more generously than ever before? I've noticed that a lot of times at bake sales and things like that, people will start just saying, just take it and donate. And people are donating way more than they would actually pay for that cake if you were to put a price on it. And I don't know what it is about that. Maybe for one, when we're required to do something, we just do exactly what's required of us and nothing more. It's like, okay, I met my responsibility. I did what I was told to do. And so there you go. And that's about it. And sometimes we give begrudgingly when we're required to give, right? And then other times it's just something that we check off the list. It's like, this is all I'm asked to do. And so I'll do it. And then that's all. And it may just be that we're putting a limit on the generosity whenever we set an exact amount. You know, in the Old Testament, God commanded the people to give a tithe, which was 10% and he lists all the different things. There's several places where he talks about tithing and tells them to give 10% of their fruits and 10% of their grains and 10% of their animals and all of these different things. But God sets an amount. But in the New Testament, he tells us to give generously. And so a lot of people think that the commandment to give 10% was done away with in the old laws, and now we don't have to give 10%. We can just give whatever we decide to give. And this is one of the verses that's quoted whenever they say that. This is Second Corinthians 9, 7, and it says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so a lot of people say we don't have to give 10% anymore because God just wants us to give whatever we've purposed in our heart to give because he wants us not to do it begrudgingly. He wants us to happily give whatever we feel like we can give. And if we say 10%, then that might make us resent that amount. And we might just give and still be irritated about it. Or we might give out of responsibility, but not in a very cheerful way. And while I think all of that is true, I want you to hear the surrounding verses of that verse. So I want to read 6, 7, and eight. And I want you to listen to the context of that verse. And so it says, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And so he does say to give whatever you've purposed in your heart in a cheerful way. But he says that if you give sparingly, then you will receive sparingly. But if you give bountifully, then you will receive bountifully. And so that sounds much more like God is just not putting a limit on the giving because of what we see here, because people give generously whenever there's no limit on it and whenever it's not required of them a certain amount. When we're asked to give 10% of our money and we just give that exact 10% and nothing more, then a lot of times we either give begrudgingly, we give in a way that we're frustrated about it because we don't have enough money to give that. And like, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet, but God told me to do this, so I'm going to do it. Then that wouldn't be fulfilling the command. Or if we also just give our 10%, write our check, and then are like, okay, good, that's God's portion and the rest of it belongs to me, then that's also not a cheerful giver and it's not a generous giver. And so I think that what God is saying is that I'm not going to put a limit on your giving. I want you to give as generously as you can until the need is met. And, you know, I don't want to say that if you can't give 10% that you must because I don't think that that's what it's saying here. But I think really what God wants is for us to give 10%. My personal belief is that he wants us to give 10%, but he also wants us to give beyond that. And so by not saying 10%, he's just not setting a limit. That's personally what I believe. Either way, he does want us to give as generously as we can possibly give, just as these people gave of what they had. If they had Acacia Wood, they gave it, if they had ability to spin the yarn and dye it and give that, then they did that. Whatever they had, they gave until that need was met. And that is how they got an abundance. If they would have just said, okay, I need each person to give this many pieces of gold, then what they would have done is they would have said, okay, we need this much gold. And so we have this many people. And if every person gives this much, then we'll have exactly the amount. Well, then that's probably all the people would have given. And then they wouldn't have had an abundance and they might not have even quite met their need because they might have miscalculated or each person might not have had exactly what they needed or whatever. And so anyway, I just want you to think about what type of giver you are. Are you a cheerful giver? Are you a generous giver? Are you willing to give 10% to your church and then go beyond whenever there are needs that you see? Like a person comes to your church to sing and you give them a love offering or a need arises and you have the materials to give to it or the ability to donate to that, whatever the case may be. Are you willing to go above and beyond to meet the needs of your church or your community or people around you whenever you see it? And then, are you also willing to give up your time and effort like these people were that spun the yarn and did all that was required there? I want you to listen to what it says in 1 Peter 5, 1-4. The elders who are among you I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away And so this verse specifically is for the overseers of the church, but it doesn't just pertain to the overseers of the church. It's saying don't do things just because you have to, because you feel like you have to. Do it willingly. Serve in this church willingly. Serve your community and your fellow brothers willingly. And not for dishonest gain, but do it for the right reasons. And so ask yourself today, are you willing to give of your talents, of your possessions, of your skills, whatever it is that God asks you to do. Are you willing to give it to him? Because all the things that we have are from him, all of our possessions, all of our gifts, and he's given those things to us for us to use them to his glory. And so be a cheerful giver, be a generous giver. Think that that's the lesson that we have in this study today. So. Throughout the rest of the study, we'll go over the different things that the people built and what their purposes were. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Leave me comments wherever you're listening. If you'd like to email me, my email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.